Hello and welcome to Peaks, where we take a closer look at the most exciting peak periods in the lives of the people that dominated pop culture. My name's John Koppel, and my good friend is my special guest today, Mark Stoudemire. Hey, John. Thank you. That's I like that intro. I wish I wish everyone's intro was like that for me. You are a special friend of mine. I appreciate that. It's it's a typical introduction if you're hosting a comedy show or a podcast. It's like next, my very good friend, and exactly. I don't know how to differentiate it when I'm not lying. Like Mark is my good friend. <laughs> this time, That's very true. Yes, this time it's true. My very first comedy friend, and uh, as such. I spoke to you very early on when I had the idea for this podcast. I sat on it for over a year. I brought it to you and Buddy Harris and was met with a lukewarm reception at best, which is probably part of the reason why I sat on it. But it gave you a lot of time to think about who you wanted the subject to be when you finally did it. And you chose John Cusack. That's yeah. I'm, I'm not, uh, this, the, the secret's out that I'm, uh, I'm a big John Cusack fan. It's 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 borderline embarrassing. I uh, I, I get I was I will say this. I guess I'm a Cusack fan up until like 2010. I have not been. I've barely seen any of his more recent stuff. It's too indie. It's too on you know before coronavirus direct to video because it's such a unique like niche subject matter. And I think it's because I mean his career I believe is probably over or very well. We don't know. We don't know because he's he's got a new Amazon series that's coming out soon called Utopia, and okay. that was written by Jillian Flynn, and she is oh, the no, lady. I know who yeah. Jillian Flynn is. Yes, I'm okay. a big fan of of her work. Yeah, she's she's a Gone Girl, right? Gone Correct. Girl and Sharp Objects. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, 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 yeah. So no, I, I mean, that could be good. I mean, John Cusack. What I, I think what I like about John Cusack, and I think why his maybe his career is, is 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 not as flourishing as it was before, is he he was always the kind of like um, the every guy. Even though he was always like the better looking guy in the movie, he was always like the underdog. You rooted for him. He uh, he had like normal friends. It wasn't like he was he wasn't like part of the jock squad all the time, or he wasn't. I don't know. There's something. It always had a great soundtrack. We talked about that. I think that John Cusack movies always had a strong soundtrack, and he was just like a guy who just um he was always coming of age. And every movie he had done, it's always coming of age from all the good ones. I just say it was coming of age for him. And I know you specifically said peak ninety seven to two thousand, and I believe that's correct if you look at from like his career standpoint. But I think if you're a fan of Cusack, his peak was probably back when he was first started with like the shirt thing and Better Off Dead, which is my favorite Cusack movie. And um, obviously Say Anything and, and 16 Candles and that, you know, his solar parts in class and that kind of stuff. We can go down that road later. Well, you touched on so many things that I, I was planning on talking about and, and including the first question I wanted to ask you, which is why you chose Cusack. And from what I'm picking up, I think you're saying it's because he's not your stereotypical movie star. You felt like you could root for him because he had that relatable element to him where he wasn't overpoweringly good looking and charming. He just kind of gritted yeah. his way through it. And then in the meantime, kick-ass music was playing behind him the whole time. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's, that's dead on. I, um, John Cusack, I mean, like, um, what, what was my thought there? Um, Cusack is, I, I don't know, like, it's, it's, it's hard to exactly say, I think I wanted to be like John Cusack. I think that was it. I think he was always like the guy in the movie who, like, 
everyone rooted for. He always won in the end. He always got the girl that was like not like the the like you know like kind of like the um like the blonde the obvious character, choice. but like yeah, but like the more like there was like you know she had a good heart kind of kind of thing and and i was so not john cusack in high school or anything else so i was more the, i was more like the if you watch better off that was more like the booger friend <laughs> the, the booger from, uh, um Render Render the Nerd, the movie. yeah but, right uh, no he was he was someone that normal guys like you and i could aspire to mm-hmm. because he was kind of neurotic in every in in every movie and he was getting his in his own way a little bit but he had a good heart and uh, as you said he was uh he's very easy to uh to root for so yeah, yeah no i i agree with you a hundred percent and when you chose cusack my for the first three seconds after you said it i was like fucking john cusack seriously and i was like i i love john cusack <laughs> so obviously when you said cusack you didn't say the years specifically so i decided we're doing 97 to 2000 which makes sense anyone would have picked that but i would say he if he didn't do the movies and early in his career you had never seen john cusack in 97 to 2000 all right, before we get into all of the John Cusack background, I want to give a special thank you to Wasted Robot Podcast Network. I'm proud to be part of the network, and this new podcast I'm about to tell you about is going to be huge on the network. Once upon a time, in an old spooky town called Philadelphia, there were two comedians obsessed with the paranormal. They decided to shine a light on unexplained stories and give a platform to others with equally strange tales. If you love ghosts, vampires, jokes about haunted smush rooms, then Real Chills is the podcast for you. Tune in to hear hosts Meg Getz and Alyssa Truskowski. Hear them share their and other stories of truly unexplainable occurrences. You can find Real Chills anywhere podcasts are streaming. If you or someone you know has a story of their own, reach out at realchillspodcast.com. Real spooky, real scary. Real Chills podcast. A real pro doesn't have to read his promos before he does them. He can just do them on the run and, uh, and you know, smooth as silk, man. That, is, that sounds interesting. Yeah. Um, are, no, they, I are, they, are they real stories or are they made up? Like, You're going to have to like... listen in and find oh, out. Okay. That's what you got to do. All right. So Cusack, he's born in Evanston, Illinois. He was one of five kids from an Irish Catholic family. His father was a writer and documentary filmmaker. His mother was a mathematics teacher and a political activist. I mean, how much sense does all that make? (laughs) It definitely sounds like the way Cusack grew up from who he became. Uh, He graduated Evanston Township High School in 1984. Uh, While he was at Evanston Township High School, he became friends with Jeremy Piven. Obviously, they stayed tight. They were in a ton of movies together. And he got his start in a small John Hughes movie called 16 Candles. Uh, That's not where he got his official start, but I think that's where most people would have first recognized him from. Uh, He he did nine movies with Jeremy Piven. Yeah. I think the Piven thing split when Piven got um, Entourage. I think Piven got too busy for Cusack. Cusack's career started by Falter at that point. But I think like, I think right around Entourage, Piven and him stopped doing stuff together as much. You think the dynamic got messed up because Piven got bigger than Cusack? I mean, he was filming a TV show that was more time and plus more popular than what Cusack was doing. I I don't know. That's my my guess. 
But um, yeah, but Pippen was like, I think he made sure there was always a part for Pippen. Well, it does track with their history because they haven't done a movie together in a long time since I think 2003 was the year. Was that Runaway Jury? Was that their last one together? Oh man, that was, yeah, that might be it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess Jeremy Pippen. Yeah. Jeremy Pippen was like, yeah, worked for the, like the Dustin Hoffman character. Mm -hmm. So, right. So going back, he could have, Cusack could have gotten on the Hughes track. He turned down the role of John Bender in Breakfast Club, which is just a huge what if. (laughs) John Nelson was fantastic in it, but yeah, I I don't know. Yeah. So, so who knows? Cusack at the beginning of his career, like he never gives credit to it. But I mean, I, like I said, Better Off Dead is my favorite Cusack movie. And he hates that movie because I think he thinks it's silly. But I, I mean, that's a classic 80s movie. And it's it has like even animation in it. And it's just like wacky. And there's like this weird, but it's like the most quotable Cusack movie I feel like that there is. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Cusack probably doesn't like talking about anything prior to say anything. I bet you. So just interested to know why he turned down. I didn't know he turned down Breakfast Club. That's crazy. Well, he turned it down because he was so busy, and which is crazy because he was awfully young. And we're we're about to go into the 1985 range, where, as you were alluding to before, it sounds like you think that his real peak was 1985 to 1989. I think a lot of people would agree with you there. Uh, I think a good argument could be made that that was his peak personally i go for the 97 to 2000 cusack and i think that they have a symbiotic relationship those two eras of movies it feels like a lot of the characters he plays later feel like older versions of the same guy that he was and maybe it just has to do with my age but i like the idea of a grown man that's still trying to figure his shit out i don't know yeah no that's absolutely what it is so 1985, he broke out with his first major role. He was the lead in The Sure Thing, directed by Rob Reiner, who initially refused to meet with him when he was casting the movie because Cusack was only 16. And the other casting directors, after getting a load of Cusack, was like, no, you've got to meet with this kid. He's he's got it. And... uh, and they had to have Cusack emancipated from his parents so that he would have the freedom to do the movie. He, <laughs> uh, the producer, Roger Birnbaum, became Cusack's legal guardian. He was only like less than 15 years older. <laughs> so this was an emancipation purely based on just like advancing his career and not like he did like his parents. His brother, so? his sister is also somewhat of an actor. Well, it's, uh, Joan Cusack's an actress. Then he has, I think there's another, another sister of his that is lesser of an actress but joan cusack i think probably um has is more of an a-lister now than he is i bet you i mean but more in a supporting role such but he's but joan has been consistently in his movies throughout his career we're doing movies together. together oh yeah yeah so i mean i feel like that that emancipation thing i guess it's just a way to or if joan had to do that for some of her stuff I don't know. That's a conversation for another time. But if uh, I was a better host, I would t- I would be able to tell you well, that I can't well, know sure, everything. Sure things is a movie about just getting late, which is funny. It's about about trying to find this girl. Is it Nicholas Sheridan? Is that who that is? Exactly. She was time. super hot in that movie too. She, I mean, she's still she's still very good looking. Right. I mean, she's I mean, she was a desperate housewife. I feel like, but uh, mm-hmm. 
but yeah, that's the whole movie. The plot is getting Cusack all the way out to, I think it was a college or something like that to meet up with right. Nicolette Sheridan. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie, but I feel he's, like the he's plot visiting was, his friend, Anthony, Anthony Edwards, who yeah. initially was going to be the lead of the movie before Rob Reiner got to see Cusack. And it's like, well, this kid has to be the star. Yeah. So, so after that movie, we move on to a movie that you're obviously extremely fond of, Better Off Dead. Yes, great movie. You rank it number one? Personally? Or if I had to pick which one John Cusack was the best actor in? Well, you said my it was your favorite Cusack yes, movie. My, my, be- my favorite Cusack movie is Better Off Dead. Um, if, you ha- if you made me answer was the best acting job that he has done in any movie, I would probably say High Fidelity. But uh, okay, but, I I like the choice of Better Off Dead. It's so dark and strange, and I agree. When the the animation and uh, he's suicidal, yeah, he, 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 he openly tries to commit suicide at least two or three times in that movie. I mean, it's I don't know if he'd be able to get away with that with those. Cl- I mean, and the guy who plays Booger and he's like snorting stuff like it's cocaine throughout the entire movie. like it's not cocaine but he's just like a total weirdo so he just snorts like snow and like pencil like pencil racings it's like cocaine yeah uh, but- the great curtis armstrong <laughs> i don't know it probably won't be until season eight or nine of peaks before we get to curtis armstrong's peak but he had a run in there in the <laughs> 80s man he never had one he just had valleys and plateaus <laughs> so uh, apparently at the screening to your prior point he walked out of the screening for the movie he told the director that it's the worst thing that he's ever seen which which made no sense because it wasn't like you could have changed the way the movie was done in 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 like in edit because like there are scenes where he's like just looking at i mean where he'd be just looking at nothing because we're gonna put like an animated uh burger patty you know in the scene like i mean like i don't know what he thought i mean like it couldn't be a shit like a serious movie like he could have he had to know that going off and just like the two japanese guys in the car and like the the newspaper boy and the weird brother and the and the weird neighbor kid you know like i don't know what he thought the movie movie was going to be uh but it was not ever going to be serious I like that he was probably about 17 years old at the time and he's yelling yeah. at the and director, you're making me look ridiculous. Like, shut up, man. You're a kid. I, you're fine. I still feel like he doesn't even acknowledge that he does that. Like, even today, I feel like he doesn't acknowledge that there he was ever in that movie or or that it's his best work or whatever you want to say it. But it's a great movie. It's funny. It is. There's a there's definitely a plot. There's good supporting characters. I mean, none of them are famous. Or if they are, I don't. I never heard of them since then. Curtis Armstrong. Curtis. Well, yeah. I mean, he, if, him being the second most famous should tell you how famous <laughs> the other ones are. Uh, true. True. I wish he would come around to it, but. So in '86, he was in Stand by Me, yes. which you know I didn't really. I kind of forgot about his part in that movie. It's a very important part. Track. It's an extremely important part, and he crushes it. He's yeah. he's um, Denny, the late big brother, the one. Not who, only that, but he's the favorite. It's not right. only that, but the fact that he was the favorite of the two kids made it made the main character. Um, that that's what drove the main character storyline was to make it you know make something of himself because the the favorite in the family died. I think he was only in two scenes, right? 
he I, two or, like, I know he's at a dinner table and there's a scene where he's in his bedroom with like a baseball glove i don't know if there's more than that but it's just like it's like he's the every kid next door they had to pick a they, for that movie they had to cast a wholesome kid to play this brother so that everyone believed that this guy was not only the fit like the all-american boy and the family but he was also a nice bigger brother to this kid he had to play he couldn't he couldn't be the favorite of the family and then be a dick to the main right. Will Wheaton character um that way everybody's mourning his loss he's the correct. the quarterback of the football team and also is trying to let his brother know that yeah. he's the one of the family that cares about him so doesn't, doesn't isn't there like a sequence in the movie where will Wheaton's dreaming and the dad turns to him and goes i wish it was you as they look at the gravestone or something like that of the job isn't there a scene like yeah. that in that movie or the dad uh-huh. it's like a dream it's not real but the dad like leans over to will Wheaton's character and goes like i wish it was you or something or should have been you very this subtle is- yeah, it's a yeah. great. That's a that's an overall great. I mean, I think everyone agrees that as far as like a mm-hmm. Stephen King non horror movie, that's probably the best one. So, Shawshank, how dare you? Oh, uh, that's right. I guess yeah. not. Yeah, I get. Yeah, that's not good. I guess but it's, it's on the short list for sure. Yeah. So no, I mean, in yeah, in eighty seven, he starred in Hot Pursuit. That's a forgettable movie. It's got zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> but it's about a kid tracking down his rich girlfriend on her vacation, and in the end, he rescues her family from a b- bunch of pirates. So, that makes sense. It sounds like it's worth like checking it. out. Right? There was there was also one crazy summer. He yes. had that. It's hard to go through all of them. He worked so much. Great movie, I will say. No, it's okay. No, but it, it was big. It was it was in that era of teen movies. Yeah, he, he was there at the right time. He had a small role in broadcast news in 87. I wouldn't call it a Cusack movie, but it was a big movie. It was a James Brooks movie starring Al Brooks. Oh. Yeah. Uh, 88, he starred uh, with Tim Robbins in the movie Tapeheads. It's a music business satire. I've never seen it, one. but it's like a cult thing. Okay. Cameos by Weird Al Yankovic, Dougie oh, Fresh, wow. Ted Nugent. Dougie Fresh. Yeah, man. <laughs> cool runnings. Wow. Dougie Fresh. They the budget on that movie. They spent all their money on Two Second Robins. They got Dougie Fresh to come in. Yeah. Cusack has a, uh, a silly little mustache and on the cover of that one. I haven't seen it. 88. He was in Eight Men Out. Oh, that's he started a good movie. Buck Weaver. I like that movie a lot. Yeah. It's a really underrated movie. Is that the one about the the Black Sox? Correct. Yes, yes. Yeah, he's not so much the main character. He's like in the in the um the like he's part of the supporting like dugout player. He's not part of the main. I don't think he's the main character. It's been a while. He's I've the seen main that guy. No, he's the main guy. Oh yeah. wow. Okay. I've been, it's I don't centered around Buck so Weaver. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw one. I think that was like an early Netflix one that I watched back when I got DVD Netflix. <laughs> that was what i got no i remember being good i forgot that he was the main character in it though i feel like he if he wasn't the main character he probably wasn't going to be in the movie it's pretty much where i'm thinking this is going with his career he turned out he he would would do stupid movies just so he was the main character well apparently he and charlie sheen were hired because they had baseball talent when they got out there on the diamond oh okay and they were kicking this movie around for so long that uh originally uh, the the original script they were thinking about getting Martin Sheen out there, and by the oh, time no. they actually made it, they had Charlie Sheen playing center field. So it just goes to show you, like Charlie you Sheen's know. not a bad actor. This is he just let the whole personal life get in the way. But no, uh, especially when baseball's involved, Charlie Sheen's pretty yeah. good. 
and it's an interesting subject. Total dad movie. He had John Mahoney was playing the uh, the manager in that movie, and then the next um, year, John Mahoney played the father of. People forget about that. People forget about the John Mahoney storyline to say anything. That I mean, John, you know, the whole him with the nursing home scam mm-hmm. is is so important to the movie, but everyone just remembers, you know, you know, uh, Lloyd with the boom box over his head, the whole dynamic with her and her father and the nursing home scam. And this, it makes the movie good. It's a good movie. It's a phenomenal movie. I didn't see it until about five years ago. And to me, that one scene with the boom box became bigger than the movie. You watch it. It's, I think the first movie that Cameron Crowe directed and it's fantastic. Every character is so memorable, especially John Cusack as Lloyd Dobler. It's just, he's, I would say he's never been more magnetic than in that movie. Every scene that he's in, nobody, like he swallows up the screen just with how charming he is and how optimistic he he's i feel like in so many of these movies he's kind of broken and this one he's kind of idiosyncratic but he's such a positive guy you know other than when he's broken by diane court temporarily breaking up with him <laughs> but other than that it's like oh yeah i think that I think that might be the only John Cusack movie because John Cusack, in order to, in order to have a John Cusack movie, John Cusack has to have a best friend that gets him through everything. I think that's the only John Cusack movie. The best friend's a woman. He, yeah, he had a trio do. of girls that he went to yeah. for to solve all this stuff. Yeah, and uh, great soundtrack. It opens with the Chili Peppers. Taste the pain. And <laughs> of course you would know that. <laughs> of course, man. And yeah. then just from there, all the music was just perfect. While he's kickboxing, he's got the Clash T-shirt right. going. Yeah. Um, and Joan Cusack plays his sister. And yeah. I, yeah. I love when they're together in movies because he doesn't have parents in that movie. I think it's just him and Joan. Right. They like live together. Yeah. Even though he's in high school, I don't know if they ever explain what happened to the parents. If they do, I don't remember. But. Um, I don't recall either, but But uh, obviously so much of it's high school. They have the classic party scene with Jeremy Piven yelling like a jackass and all of the characters in that whole high school party scene felt real, including, including Lloyd Dobler. Um, And it was just better than, and I love John Hughes, but I feel like it's better than any John Hughes high school movie, including the comedic element. So say with his movies, there was this wasn't so much a comedy. This is pretty much a drama straight through. It wasn't silly like Better Off Dead either. There wasn't silly. Maybe that's why he still talks about it and whatever. But but didn't Anthony Kiedis actually date the, the that character's the love interest? I can't remember Diane Court. Didn't he date her for a while? Did he? I want to say Ione, what, was, is her name Ione Sky. Is that her name? Yes. Yeah, I want to say I want to say I want to say that he had date like that was like and there was something there's a weird story about the two of them dating and with John Cusack like I feel like he was dating her during that movie and something weird with Cusack like him and Cusack that, like I don't know what he was threatened by Cusack there's something there it's worth going down a rabbit hole for but I feel like Anthony Kiedis de- definitely dated the. This, yeah, I own Sky. If it was in Anthony Kiedis's wonderful autobiography, Scar Tissue, then I should remember it, but I don't. Uh, okay. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. Anthony I Kiedis did a lot of work. I think I researched that on like the back end. He stayed busy. <laughs> so, so speaking of the Diane Court character, when she gave the commencement speech and she tried to make it a big joke and it totally fell flat. Mm-hmm. 
I consider that on the short list of the most relatable bad joke as a comedian moments. Like I <laughs> felt it for, I was like, oh God, <laughs> I've been there. I've been to Diane Court before. Oh, I've been there too. I'm, I'm more, more times than I've not been there. I live there. Cusack was trained under kickboxing champion Benny Uquides. Of course he was. Starting in that movie. And he trained under him for over 20 years. He became a, uh, a black belt, very successful kickboxer. Uh, I've got a clip that we'll play uh, about when Diane Court's father asked him about his career plans. You know, a career? Um, I don't know. If, uh, <clears throat> I thought about this quite a bit, sir, and I, I would have to say, considering what's waiting out there for me, I don't want to sell anything, buy anything, or process anything as a career. I don't want to sell anything bought or processed or buy anything sold or processed or process anything sold, bought, or processed or repair anything sold, bought, or processed. You know, as a career, I don't want to do that. So uh, my father's in the Army. He wants me to join, but I can't work for that corporation. Um, so what I've been doing lately is kickboxing, which is a uh, new sport, but I think it's got a good future. As far as career longevity, I don't really know because, you know, you can't really tell. If you're eight and six as a fighter, you know, it's no good. You know, you have to be great, but I can't really tell if I'm great until I've had a couple of pro fights. But I haven't been knocked down yet. I don't know. I can't figure it all out tonight, so I'm just going to hang with your daughter. It's interesting. It's one of those movies where you watch it differently, I think, when you become a father, because the the great Lloyd Dobler showing up at dinner and just calmly explaining that he doesn't want to buy anything processed. He doesn't want to sell anything. He doesn't want to fix anything. And it's like, shit, man. OK, so you want to be a kickboxer? <laughs> well, well, and it's also cool. more critical because the entire time uh, John Mahoney is scamming old people out of their out of their life savings and everything. So like he only wants the best for his daughter, but in the meantime, he's a scumbag or whatever. And, and, you know, behind the scenes and, and at, at the very end, they eat, uh, John Cusack takes uh, Diane to see her father in prison. And, you know, there's that whole. Right. And she doesn't, end. she's not ready to see him yet. Yeah. I'm, and, I, and I mean, he, can't be spoiling a movie that's 30 years old before that. Right. I can't, there's, no, I can't be spoiling a movie that's right. older than I am. So. Right. But he decides not to join the army. He decides yeah. to go off to England with her. And uh, no, it's it's a terrific movie. And um, and also as a dad, to get back to the John Mahoney character, <laughs> watching the way he disgraces himself and has to come to grips with it with his daughter, it's like, oh, that hits you right in the heart. You've got a yeah. daughter. It's like, oh, yeah. you imagine having to tell your daughter that you're up to that kind of shit? Terrible. I, I mean, I got to tell her someday that I do comedy, which is even more embarrassing. So, I, you know, that's. Yeah, tell me. About, yeah, we've all <laughs> created mountains for ourselves to I'm climb. Like, I'm a con artist. <laughs> right. So when Mark told me that he was going, that he wanted us to do John Cusack, he sent me a picture of like, 12 John Cusack DVDs stacked on top of each other and like, wow, you're not fucking around with your John Cusack love. I had the grifters. I, just, I, that's a, I had that one. And then the one right before the peak <laughs> the was City Hall. I have City, And then I have American Sweethearts and Must Love Dogs, but those are on VHS. Wow. Uh, so, yeah. You see? And Max. 
which we'll t- which we have to make sure we talk about Max a little bit because that's that's a good one. You can talk about Max. I have nothing to contribute. Oh, but, okay, uh, never mind. Another one. No, you can. Another one over that uh, little period was 1994's Bullets Over Broadway, which was a Woody Allen movie that yeah. I don't think did very well. But I'm not a Woody Allen fan. It, well, it's 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, and Woody Allen oh, was nominated boy. for Best Director. So I guess it was. I just good. don't get him. Yeah, I, I, I don't get it. I mean, it's not, you know, whatever. I don't get him as a director. So I don't really like too much of his stuff. Oh, I like a lot of Woody Allen movies. Yeah. I love Steve Carell, and he somehow managed to make Steve Carell in that one movie like a like a terrible character. So I was like, all right, I'm not watching any. I, I, there's not one Woody Allen movie that I like that I've ever seen. <laughs> I have. I don't. I don't like him. I don't care. That I, I just. I didn't like him when he was a comedian. I don't like him when he's a director. I don't like Woody Allen. Wow. Hot I have nothing to do with his personal life. I mean, you know, that is all. You respect that. That part's great. (laughs) (laughs) The only thing I like him is what he does with his adopted daughter. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Mark Stoudemire, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) All right. So 96, he was in City Hall, which is a very ambitious movie. He was Deputy Mayor Kevin Calhoun. And Al Pacino is the mayor. And that's, if you, if anyone likes if anyone wants to see John Cusack in an actual thriller, not one where he's like, it could be a romance as a thriller or it's a comedy, but like a thriller, thriller, City Hall is the way to go. Al Pacino is the mayor. There's a, uh, of, a ta- of a guy who's, his whole thing is cleaning up the thing. I think Danny Iota's in it, or I'll, Danny Iota. Uh, Danny Thank you. Um, is in that movie. And it's like, a guy, there's a drug dealer who's killed it's just a whole bunch of different stories and yeah he and and uh Cusack helps and Al Pacino never made a bad movie besides that Adam Sandler one that he did Al Pacino has never made a bad movie so that should tell you that anyone should see that movie because it's just you have Al Pacino you have Cusack I think Bridget Fonda is the love interest in that the only movie she may have ever done is in that movie so Bridget Fonda's um, done a lot of movies you said two insane things within a span of three minutes uh, you said the Woody Allen's never made a good movie and Al Pacino's never made a bad movie. And both those things are crazy. I love Pacino. <laughs> He's made a lot Pacino, of bad movies. Pacino's a great actor. Whatever you want to say, I mean, you know, he's not as interesting to talk about because everyone, I mean, there's nothing he's ever done that's been, I mean, the Adam Sandler movie was abysmal, but that's a whole other podcast. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think anyone's going to disagree with the fact that Al Pacino might be top five best actors of all time. Okay. Hot takes, hot takes all around. Should we go into the peak? All right, go to the peak. Let's let's do it, man. So in 97, and again, it's hard with Cusack because he's in so many movies. 97, he appeared in five movies. But let's let's really lean into the ones that matter, starting with Gross Point Blank, where okay. he is Martin Blank, an assassin that returns to his old stomping grounds for his high school reunion and also to take a job as an assassin. Um, he co-wrote the movie with Steve Pink and D.V. DeVisantis. Well, he co-wrote are, it. He did. I didn't know that. He did. That he also he co-wrote the adapted screenplay for uh, High Fidelity as well with the same sort of yeah. with the same writing team. I knew that one, but yeah, okay. that voice. and that one has the rare both Piven and Joan Cusack in Growth Point Blank. You know, they don't appear on screen together. They're both in it together at the same time. I can't, I don't think that happens in any other movie. And they're always separated out. 
two of them. Oh, I bet you, I bet you they've uh, they've appeared in other movies together. The cast of Gross Point Blank is unbelievable. Oh, yeah, Dan Aykroyd is phenomenal as the rival assassin that wants to unionize, but also mm-hmm. wants to kill him. Every scene with the two of them is terrific. His yeah. shrink is Alan Arkin, who yeah. <laughs> who uh, Martin Blank makes him kind of treat him against his will. Yeah. And he's terrified of him because he knows <laughs> that he's an assassin. Uh, you got Hank Azaria as one of the, uh, the NSA agents on his yeah. – on his tail. Uh, there's another hitman that's coming after him the whole time, and that's played by Benny Uquides, the kickboxing oh, champion that trained him. Is that, is that the one that he kills in the hallway, the like the locker? Yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. I didn't realize that he was a kickboxer. I didn't know who that guy was. Yeah, he's a professional kickboxer, and Cusack is obviously doing he's he's doing his real shit there, and he's he's kick ass. It's interesting when you see that scene and and some other scenes in that movie, like Cusack could have transitioned into action hero type of territory. It's weird. He he wanted to be an art. He wanted he wanted the whole artistry. He wanted the whole. He wanted you to feel something for it. He wouldn't. He couldn't go the Liam Neeson role of like, all right, I'm 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 Schindler, and now I'm in all these badass acting movies. He couldn't. <laughs> he couldn't go that route. He's all. He always wants substance in his roles, even though some of the movies don't need the substance to be good. He doesn't. I think that was. But even with Gross Point, he's always conflicted. And Gross Point Blank, he's a hitman, but he doesn't want to be a hitman. He loves Mini Driver, but he knows that he'll take her down a bad road. He he agrees with Dan Aykroyd, but he hates him. There's all you know. It's the it's this con the constant conflict, which is in every John Cusack movie, but it's the same conflict. Gross Point Blank might be the Cusack movie that I've seen the most times. I love this movie, and th- the last time that I saw it, I was thinking like, "Is this the alternative dark side to Lloyd Dobler?" If Lloyd Dobler does end up joining the army, and instead of sticking with the girl, because he left Minnie Driver, he ditched yeah. her and didn't show up for the prom. And yeah. then he joined the army, he went AWOL, still kickboxing, still neurotic, still awful with the father of the girlfriend. He's still yeah. got Jeremy Piven was his boy from high school. There's a lot of parallels going so, on there. And similar, Minnie Driver's father's up to something because he goes, because he goes, right. you must have done something for me to come me to be here, for me to come get your contract or whatever so he's obviously not a squeaky clean father himself um you don't know what he does but uh um, right no, it's, it's, i'm not arguing with you it's a great movie it's it's top three cusack um uh, another another excellent soundtrack oh and that's another parallel he loves the clash just like and say anything yeah both of those movies there's a lot of him driving around you pat it like he's got the steering wheel and he's just jamming and he's good at that Obviously, well, there's always been like this. Always good. There's always been like this thing where like this unofficial sequel that he made. I think it was like 2012 called War Inc. I want to say I tried watching it. It was so bad that I stopped watching it. <laughs> but it's with Joan Cusack as like his partner in this hitman thing, and Dan Aykroyd's like against them. I couldn't tell you one thing about it other than I only watched it because they said it was like the unintended sequel to Gross Point Blank. It was terrible, and I turned it off after half an hour. Right. He also co-wrote that one. Uh, but 
again, so many good scenes in this movie. Obviously, we talked about the great kickboxing scene. We've got the prom scene where he's he's holding the baby of the yeah. old high school classmate while Under Pressure is playing. I love that scene where he's kind of being taken over by the emotion of seeing the innocence of the kid and how he can wipe his yeah. slate. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's uh, he's very neurotic in that movie, which is just a funny look for a guy who's a really adept hitman. Uh, I liked the recurring uh, bit where people ask him what he does and he tells them that he's an assassin and they don't think that much of it. Ten years, man! Ten, ten years! Ten years! Ten! Ten years! Ten years! I freaked out. I joined the army. I worked for the government. I went into business with myself. I'm a professional killer. That's what I did. Okay, well, can I join up? Yes! <laughs> it does play very funny and also adds to his pathos that his childhood home was sold and turned into a convenience store. Yeah. And his high school best friend brokered the deal as the real estate agent. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. is terrific. So um, next in 97... Con Air. Oh my gosh. I we could do a whole podcast just based on Con Air. If you had asked me what movie of Kusak I've seen the most, even though Better Off Dead is my favorite Kusak movie, Con Air I have seen millions of times. It is an overall fascinating. It's not a great movie. It makes little or no sense. That stuff, I mean, <laughs> the whole thing is so bizarre. But that movie is any, if I'm flipping through channels and if I'm like, and there's only half an hour left of that movie, I'll watch it because they can pack so much into every minute. There's something packed into it. There's not a wasted minute in that movie. The um, movie is, the movie's incredible. Is and that the highest grossing Cusack movie? Yes. Okay, well, I, I was what I thought. I don't have to guess. I don't have thought it, that. It grossed two hundred twenty-four million on a budget of seventy-five million. And Kuzak, his I mean, he probably had less than twenty minutes of time in that oh, movie. I, actually, I believe twenty twelve was higher grossing, but adjusting for inflation, who knows? I don't know. But Kuzak again plays the conflicted DEA agent or whatever he is. You know, but it's, you know, Cusack couldn't be, I mean, the whole movie is pure action, pure adrenaline rushing, crazy. I mean, so my cousin's actually a pilot and it's not uncommon that they had to transfer, that he has a transfer of prisoner from, you know, from, you know, across, you know, report for back for, you know, court appearances, but they don't put a, they don't, there's no plane full of prisoners. They bring on one prisoner. He comes on first. He shackled the two guys in the back of the plane. Uh, and then, you know, then they bring the rest of the people on and then when they land, they bring the rest of people off and then he's the last one to get off. It's one person at a time. And usually it's not a violent offender. Um, <laughs> this one's like the craziest, um, uh, but that has an all-star If any movie has an all-star cast that John Cusack has been a part of Con Air is that cast. Well, More everybody, so John Malkovich, everybody in the movie is overqualified for what they're doing, including Nicolas Cage. He just Clint won Ving an Rames. Oscar. For, for, <laughs> yeah. Ving Rhames, oh, John Cage. Malkovich, Steve Buscemi, even Dave, Dave Chappelle, who apparently improvised most of his lines in that movie. Yeah. And the fact John that John Malkovich, Malkovich is like, that's probably the only movie where he played like the intimidating, menacing bad guy. And in. I can't, I, usually Malkovich is like the thoughtful, 
like sage of the movie. And in this one, he, he's like a crazy lunatic. He was the guy in, in the line with, of fire. That movie kicked ass. I didn't see line of fire. I'm, oh, I'm sorry. he no, was the I'm, guy. He wanted to assassinate the president, but Clint Eastwood. Uh, is out but, of retirement as a uh, secret service man. It's I hope awesome you put the scene in this podcast, but it's the one where the drug dealer tries to leave on his own plane and the plane doesn't take off because Cusack and Nicolas Cage, I think, fire upon it as before it can get off in the air. And the drug <laughs> dealer is the only one that survives this plane crash. Looks like you missed your connection. We were, we were coming to get you. Please. That scene of the entire movie when he lights the guy on fire. There's a lot of, yes, the light the guy on fire. There's a lot of big, dumb action scenes in it. And Cusack is the... yeah, he's the second billing in the movie, and he's phenomenal in it. because he's crazy. He's the only smart guy in the movie. Uh, He shows off his big vocabulary, and the DEA agent hates him for it. The Um, DEA agent who was in Layer Cake, which is a great movie. Right. Um, Side bit, Layer Cake, great movie. (laughs) (laughs) He has the awesome scene that he's more or less narrating where he goes down the list of all the convicts on the plane. It's a great way to introduce all the convicts. First of all, it's perfect that Cameron Poe, Nick Cage's character, he's in there because he was attacked, he and his wife, and defending himself, he accidentally killed a guy and he had to have the worst lawyer of all time. (laughs) (laughs) Just uh, an unbelievably bad lawyer. The whole movie makes no, I mean, you land a 747 on the Vegas strip and there's no casualties. I mean, you got, and, and Steve Buscemi just walks away into a casino wearing his prison uni, by the way, with only a sports jacket done over top of it. It's First a crazy all, we don't, movie. We don't know that there was no casualties. We're just not going to dwell on it. <laughs> but there are so many big names in there. And even the smaller names are like guys who I've always been a fan. Like MC Gainley is the pilot who I like, I like in sideways and, and in break and breakdown. I mean, there's like so many, like every actor is perfect, like perfectly, perfectly cast with Steve Buscemi as the weirdo. Danny Trejo. Danny Tre- oh gosh. Yeah. Ta- Danny Trejo. Probably the first time I ever saw Danny Trejo. Like first time I was introduced to, to him being an actor was in that movie johnny 23 i was johnny johnny 407 if they knew the truth or whatever (laughs) you have seen it a lot by the way i watched the movie on my phone on amazon and if you're watching a movie on amazon you can always click to trivia and goofs believe it or not there are a lot of goofs in this movie and a lot of critiques of this doesn't make sense because of this there's hundreds of them which is okay but if you look at the Cusack character, it follows the same formula as every other movie, whether it's Say Anything, Gross Point Blank, City Hall. Well, he's he's the smart guy in the movie. And as such, whenever they have these action movies, you have the one smart guy and then nobody else believes him. Yes. Even no matter how what he says and how much sense that it makes. And we actually have the clip where he explains that he thinks Cameron Poe might be their guy on the inside. Here's the jacket on Cameron Poe. His wife's on the way here now. U.S. Ranger. Highly decorated. Did a little hell raising when he was a kid, but nothing serious. Explain to me why any of this matters. Fact one, we got a plane up there filled with killers, rapists, and thieves, and we got this guy Cameron Poe. In on an involuntary manslaughter beef, non-gang affiliated. He's a parolee hitching a ride home. Fact two, Poe has a chance to get off the plane. Doesn't do it. 
Fact three, our guard Falzon said a convict named Cameron Poe planted Sims tape recorder on him. These are interesting facts. You do the math on this, and we got an ally on that plane. Ally? This guy is a criminal, a murderer. Read the file. Got in a drunken brawl defending his wife, and he killed a guy. Could have happened to any one of us, including you and me. I am not one of these animals. Oh, that's original. When exactly did they all become animals? When they stopped giving a damn about the law, about civilization. The degree of civilization in a society can be judged by observing its prisoners. Dostoevsky said that after doing a little time. Fuck you. <laughs> of course, he's the guy in the movie quoting Dostoevsky. And he's the liberal guy. And of course, that's why later on the DEA agent is saying, Vince Larkin is probably off saving the rainforest or some shit. <laughs> it's like it's the ultimate muscle movie. And yeah. Cusack is always there thinking, always getting in his head. I liked what was particularly satisfying is when his character, Vince Larkin, has kind of the showdown with Cameron Poe. Yeah. Who he knows or he strongly believes is a good guy. And yeah. they've got the guns pointed at each other. And Vince Larkin's hand is shaking the whole time and he's nervous. And somehow, just by coming into contact with him from that scene on, Vince Larkin also becomes an action hero. Like yeah. It's just like it rubbed <laughs> off on him. And then all of a sudden, he's kicking ass right along with yeah. Cameron. It makes no <laughs> sense, but I love it because it's like, wow, that's now we've got two kick-ass action dudes i love that, that movie. movie that movie gets a lot of goofs on because nicholas cage has a really bad southern accent everyone will say but i always wondered if you cast john cusack as cameron poe what does that movie turn out to be like oh not as good not as good i don't not know as good. nicholas cage, Nick is, cage uh, is perfect and i can't uh, wait i can't wait to do my nicholas cage peaks because I find that because dude there are so not going to be a three-minute episode. I mean, what is it that uh... <laughs> so, late in the movie? And I do think that the last ten minutes was just them figuring out that they have more money in the budget. They're like, "Fuck it, let's blow some more shit up." <laughs> <laughs> so it's like it really should have ended with landing on the strip, but then there's got to be another chase scene. And even in that scene, Vince Larkin is riding a motorcycle, weaving yeah. in and out. He's shooting a gun he's <laughs> leaping from a moving motorcycle onto a fire truck it's like wasn't this an office dude a minute ago <laughs> exactly. i love that movie i mean he's like a, he's like a dea agent by day and then like you know like a total like badass dude by night i mean dude come on the fact that john malkovich gets thrown onto electric like live wires but then somehow dies in a junkyard you know it just the whole movie is absolutely insane you're right it's almost like they got more money as like they only, they only like filmed it in 20 minute segments and then got more money based on how well they liked the first 20 minutes. I mean, it's so great. The whole thing's crazy. They're like, good news team. We could blow some more shit up. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. When they, when they're, when the convicts are shooting the, um, the, the, the cops that are coming through the junkyard, why would the cops just come through one lot? Why would, they? <laughs> I don't know. A lot of strange choices. But uh, yeah. The song, but how do I live? was nominated for an Oscar for Best Original Song, also nominated for a Razzie for Worst Original Song. <laughs> really? I'm not right. I mean, Matt, but Matt, it's still a guy who, no, like, he's never the, 
he's even in that movie, he's never the guy. He's always a little bit off to like the macho male persona. Like you're right. Like the D the big DEA agent, they don't want to give the, they don't want to give the undercover DEA guy a gun, the plane and Cusack's arguing about don't take the gun off. It's going to go bad. And it does go bad. Cause it, so it's always like this. He's not the macho guy. He's always in the right. And he's trying to find himself somehow on this weird path, even with 25 crazy convicts on a plane and, and, and one, and one guard <laughs> with 25 of the worst convicts that ever lived. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so also later that year, this is still 97. I'll move it along a little bit. He That's was the voice of Dimitri and Anastasia. He didn't sing in the movie. Uh, he, after he got the gig, he's like, he let them know that he can't sing, but that movie did well. That earned 140 million on a $50 million budget. So, I'm a Disney dad. You're a Disney dad. You'll be uh, you'll be seeing that one. Ninety uh, eight. He was in Thin Red Line, Terrence Malick movie, the ensemble cast. Cusack had sixth billing in that. Apparently, everybody that was in Hollywood at the time was just begging to do that. And if you go, it's a very interesting Wikipedia page and wherever else you want to read about it. But um, people were. There was the cast of of actors that showed up on set to that movie and did scenes that were ultimately cut would be one of the, like the best casts of any movie ever. So um, I I don't particularly love this movie. I like war movies a lot. Um, Gene Siskel called it the finest contemporary war movie I've ever seen, and that Whoa, included Saving, Saving Ryan. Private Ryan. Oh, was, yeah. was that after after it? No. No, no saving Pri- this was after Saving Private Ryan. He, he no included way. Saving Private Ryan and Platoon. People got really geeked about this movie at the time. I you could just film the first fifteen minutes of Saving Private Ryan and it beats out any war movie that ever has been made. I mean, it's 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 yeah. I don't know. I've never seen Thin Red Line. I'll be honest. I've never ever seen the movie, so I can't okay. beat by comparison. But Saving Private Ryan is come on. That's like the. So you mentioned like the, the first fifteen minutes of that movie. So short story, um, for my birthday. The night before my birthday, I went to go see the late screening of that movie. And that first scene of that movie was so incredibly riveting. And then after the scene finally calmed down for a second, I looked at my watch and I realized it was after midnight. So it was officially my birthday. So I whispered to all my friends around, yeah, it's my birthday now. And high fives all around. After we just saw like 10,000 murders, we were the dickheads giving each other high fives and the the theater turned on us pretty quick. Anytime anytime there's a neo-Nazi rally somewhere in this country, they should show the first 15 minutes of that movie because it just wants you to kick every Nazi that you ever you can find. It's, 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 it's just a great, it's just a great movie. Movie. But that's not even the Cusack was never even a part of that, so we won't even. Right, <laughs> Tin Red Line movie. was good too. So <laughs> in '99, Pushing Tin, that was the he movie. and Billy Bob Thornton. Yep. They're air traffic controllers. They bang each other's wives, Angelina <laughs> Jolie and Kate Blanchett. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of other drama. It's fine. Yeah. Fine. I, I like it. It's interesting. It's it's not a thriller, but there's like it's like edgy. I mean it's not edgy or see. It's just um I don't know what to explain a bit, but it's a dark it's, comedy. Billy Bob Thor is the best foil, I think, that Cusack has ever had because he got Cusack to get raveled. Unraveled, I mean. He not did raveled. get in his head, which yeah. was fun. And Cusack, it's always fun when somebody's in his there's always something in that guy's head in every yeah. movie. I remember when that movie came out, I looked at it as the guy that really grounded the movie Con Air was facing off 
against the guy that really grounded the movie Armageddon. Like they were just like the two huge dumb action movies. And when I say that with affection, because I love both of those movies, but without Billy Bob Thornton and John Cusack, those movies would have just been too dumb. That's a great way of explaining that. Okay. <laughs> so after that was being John Malkovich, where he yeah. played Crank Craig Schwartz, the unemployed puppeteer. Uh, he was nominated for an Independent Spirit Award, an American Comedy Award for funniest lead actor, which is like, it is technically, it is kind of a dark comedy. It's so dark. This is one of the strangest movies. I love this movie. I don't. I don't love being John Malkovich. It's stupid. It's it's a stupid. It's I bet you Cusack loves it because it's yeah because it's bizarre and it's artsy fartsy and it's like. I'm sure when he got that independent spirit award, that was probably like his Academy award because he loves that kind of crap and being like the big, like, you know, deep thinker kind of role or whatever. I don't know. I don't know how I, I, how to coherently explain my thoughts about how much I don't like that movie. Um, (laughs) So the the concept's bizarre. It makes no sense. Cameron Diaz is in it, but he can't, of all the leading ladies she's by far the best looking and somehow he can't like uh whatever you know land with her and then she's a lesbian with his wife or what it's just the whole thing is too his wife in the movie is idiot and not smart enough to understand being john malkovich like it i didn't like the stupid cover with malkovich's bald head being ripped open with the sky behind it i didn't like any of it it was terrible (laughs) i gave it a one out of ten you're the best. Uh, his wife was Cameron Diaz. The oh, character's okay. name's Lottie. And it had 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. It won, it I believe it won, It was nominated for Best Original Screenplay. And it was... What was it up again? That's what I want to know. In, <laughs> in 99? That's a yeah. great movie year. I just that's a, but, but probably because the person who ever wrote that screenplay was high on four different drugs. Charlie I mean, Kaufman. I don't even know who that is, but I, I uh, he wrote I, adaptation. He wrote Eternal um, Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Oh, Huge okay, creep. that all makes sense because they're all terrible movies. So this is oh just my gosh. This is, <laughs> okay. And oh, Spike, I like Mike Jones. No, Spike Jones I don't directed. Hear that. He was terrific. Oh, I like, but it makes the bizarreness makes sense for Spike Jones. But I do like Spike Jones. It is a very strange movie. I love it. I don't want to watch it more than once in a five year period. But every time I watch it, I'm incredibly impressed, and my mind's blown, and I have a hard time sleeping afterwards because I'm thinking about everything that's going on. I think it's hilarious. Uh, they have highbrow and lowbrow jokes sprinkled in while you've got a very arguably, in Mark's opinion, too highbrow of a concept going on. Um, I liked reading that uh, that the chairman at New Line Cinema, his response to it was, why the fuck can't it be Tom Cruise instead <laughs> of being John Malkovich? And then they ended up changing their uh their minds and well Malkovich uh, is he's not central to the thing other than the fact that Cusack is in his is in it like literally in his head well, the Malkovich character all, hardly is in the is hardly in it everybody's great in it and and Malkovich is in it more than you remember and Malkovich uh, disappears so well when he is occupied as a portal for somebody else 
and his body, he becomes the same character that John Cusack is so much that you forget that it's Malkovich. And then Dr. Lester takes over his body and he's the weird Dr. Lester version. I, uh, I love I love this movie. Charlie Sheen has a great little cameo as That's himself right. being the scummy hornball that just gives terrible advice the whole time. <laughs> um, uh, Cusack's character, Craig, is awful. Most yeah. of the characters in the movie are terrible people, but he's <laughs> sympathetic at the same time. It's a really deft balancing act that he has. He, he wants to cheat on his life with this other woman, and this is the only foreseeable way that he can find out how to do it. Is just occupying her favorite actors, which anyone who lists John Malkovich as her favorite actor is someone who I want to meet. No, it's not his. It's not her favorite actor, and that's one of the oh. like the great recurring goofs of the movie is that when people bring up John Malkovich, he's, oh, he's a very respected actor, and then they can't name any movies that he's been in. Which, <laughs> like, that is John Malkovich for the most part. I love most of the. Characters. One of my favorites is his boss, Dr. Lester, the, at Lester Corp. And he's this sweet looking, soft spoken, older gentleman. And he tells Craig about the secretary that he liked. I want to feel Flores's naked thighs next to mine. I want my body to inspire lust in that beautiful, complex woman. I want her to shiver with a spasm of ecstasy, Schwartz, as I penetrate her. Dr. Lester, while I'm flattered you would share your feelings with me, perhaps the workplace is not the most suitable environment for this type of discussion. Uh, you're right, all right. I tell you what, meet me after work today at Jerry's Juiceteria on Lex, and I'll spill my goddamn guts for you. I like Lester a lot. And I also enjoyed, from a just being a stand-up standpoint, early in the movie when he calls the successful puppeteer a gimmicky bastard. <laughs> that felt very relatable. <laughs> I feel like I've been involved in that conversation a lot. And just the life of the puppeteer is so miserable. And you mentioned Cameron Diaz. She's got, they make her look homely, which I don't feel like they fully committed to. As the movie went on, she got better and better looking. It's like (laughs) Cameron Diaz came out a little bit, but their lives are so miserable while he's trying to make the puppeteering thing happen. and, And they've got all these iguanas and chimps and dogs and cats in their house. And yeah, I don't, I love the movie. 2000 high fidelity. There now we go. We're talking. Now that's a movie. That's a now movie. We're I talking. Want to get behind. The movie made 47 million on a budget of 30 million. That's an interesting thing with Cusack's most iconic movies, because being John Malkovich made like 30, some 33 million I think, and say anything didn't make a ton of money. Gross Point Blank made about thirty million, uh, and then later he made movies that made a lot of money that nobody ever would want to talk about or see. But you know, people don't always recognize quality. I mean, some yeah. asshole told me that he didn't even like being John Malkovich. <laughs> so he was the co-writer and producer of High Fidelity with the same team that he worked on with Gross Point Blank. Yeah. Uh, pretty faithful to the novel did you read that the nick hornby book nope you lost me at read (laughs) well they moved it to chicago uh from london which i think was smart and the character he inhabited uh rob completely i couldn't imagine anybody else if that's how you would give out awards then he should have definitely 
at least been nominated for an Oscar that year. Yeah, you know, it's a good. I don't know who ended up going for an Oscar that year. Who was even nominated? It's I don't. You know, I think was, that was. Um, I believe that was Gladiator, Russell Crowe, right? Okay. Well, that's kind of hard to spell that over Gladiator. Yeah, um, and I think Castaway. We had Tom Hanks. It was a good year. I'm just saying he should have been nominated because. He was great. Yeah. But I don't have the I, list in front yeah, of me. It has the three elements of classic Cusack. It's coming of age, pining after a, a girl that's unattainable to him until, it's, until she's not, and great soundtrack. Those are the three things you need for a John Cusack movie. Unfortunately for John Cusack, Father Time, you know, doesn't really equate to coming of age when you're in your 50s. So um, <laughs> his better days are behind. But no, high fidelity is by filing. Everyone can everyone can agree that's his peak. That's that's the everything is downhill after high fidelity. We could talk about it. But <laughs> no, I'd be inclined to uh, to agree with you there. And I do agree. The soundtrack is fantastic. I think the whole casting of that movie is so great. They nailed everyone and they got everyone at the perfect time. Um, oh, obviously. Jack Black is so Amazing. good. Now he should have been nominated for something. I don't care what it, I don't know what that would have been, but Jack Black was amazing in that movie. <laughs> Better than Cusack, but I love I loved He's great. So the other nominees in 2000, the other nominees, Cusack wasn't nominated, but Russell yeah. Crowe won, as I said, for uh, Gladiator. We had Tom Hanks uh, in Castaway, Javier Bardem, Jeffrey Rush, and Ed Harris. So those are all hard. Those are, I mean, all those guys were already established classic actors. I mean, sure. He's not always be known as Lloyd Dobler. I mean, and right. he's, he's has to accept that. And if it's right. the fact that he doesn't is why his career has taken. such a, Well, Cusack a was nominated for a golden globe for, uh, for this okay. movie for high fidelity. Uh, we mentioned, movie. we mentioned Jack Black before we have a, uh, a clip of him when uh, reacting to Rob's, top five list that he's introducing for that day in the record store. Rob, it's your turn. Okay. I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top five side ones, track ones. Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash. Hey. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit off of Nevermind. Oh no, Rob, that's not obvious enough, not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a- <laughs> Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat, Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though and not on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection, the song is Radiation oh, Ruling the Nation. kind of a new record. Excuse very me, I was in, in a minute. Very nice, Rob. A sly declaration of new classic status slipped into a list of old safe ones. Very pussy. Uh, also, Catherine Zeta-Jones as Charlie is fantastic. Yeah. Because yeah, Lily Taylor's in it. Lily Taylor's a girlfriend of his. The Charlie yeah. character is so real. I mean, I dated a Charlie. I of had the girl that I felt like was way too good looking for me. And then later on, things come into focus and you go... Wait, she's terrible. <laughs> she's, like, she's a terrible person. She's not nearly as interesting as she thinks she is. Anyhow, I uh, that she was one... the, she was a millennial before millennial was even a term in that movie. That's exactly what Charlie's character was with the with the big hats and the the verbose and the weird artistry that she presented. She was a millennial, but just in two thousand and one right, or whatever. Point. Whatever. Two thousand. Yeah. No. The the entitlement. Sure. So, okay. 
I think that takes us through the run. Do you, did I miss anything? No. Well, the one movie I'm glad you didn't bring up was the Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, which is a terrible movie, and it's not yeah. any, it's not Cusack's fault. Cusack did a great job as an actor in that movie, and Kevin Spacey did a good job after that, and Jude Law did a great job as that. But it's the fact that that movie was so bad that you could take those three guys. <laughs> And, and, and you ruin it. The they advertise it as a murder mystery, and it's not. It's just like a timepiece based in like Southern Savannah, Georgia. And uh, yeah, you have Spacey, Cusack, and Law, and you somehow made that a D movie. So that tells you where that one is. But I'm glad you didn't bring that up. Terrible movie. Speaking of strange advertising, if you've seen the trailer for High Fidelity anytime recently, no. they've they've got Walking on Sunshine playing, and it just okay. seems like silly good fun. <laughs> but I mean, listen, the movie is fun. I consider it a positive movie, but the main character Rob is absolutely tortured. Yes, you know well, he, he's a quintessential Cusack character that's totally in his own head in a very self-indulgent way, and you still root for him. But yeah. it's, well, the the first it's certainly not a carefree movie. One of the first lines he has in that movie is he talks about that he lost pop music, and he goes, "What came first, the music or the misery?" Yeah, that defines the entire. He's a miserable character, right. and. And but he, he learns to find be out positive. in the movie that he's terrible to the girl. The girl who leaves him, the one that you're like, makes no sense why she left. You find out that he's been absolutely terrible to her this entire time. He's been a bad guy. Um, but then he, you know, makes it up to her in the end because her father dies. Of course, you know, any, you know. Tim Robbins, that, Tim Robbins is so funny in that movie. I want to know that relationship so between him and Tim Robbins because it's never been discussed. Like him and Piven have always been on paper best friends well at least up until whenever 2004 or whatever but uh him and robbins have appeared in, and there was a i think was it pushing 10 or was it another movie where tim robbins was the director producer and kusak was in it they did a movie that tim the robbins wrote directed starred in and kusak had a big role and I, I don't think that it did well what's that was it the cradle of rock where kusak plays um rockefeller yes yeah you you know your Cusack. Uh, it, it's not a it's not a great movie. It's a good historical piece. It's about like communism. So, but uh, so let's hit the categories. All right, all right. First off, what do you miss the most about this era, this Cusack ninety seven to two thousand era? What do I miss about the era, or do I miss about Cusack in that era? Him during this run, probably the fact that he. He was after that era. He was never good as that anymore. He was uh, he he was never good as an actor as he wasn't he, because the the he never understood that his part was always the guy who had to find himself somehow, and he had it all. He had it the entire time. He had the looks. He had the charm. He had the smarts. He had the 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 effort or the love of whatever it was that he was you know what the main focus of his thing was. But he never could put it together until he did something, whether that was going out to uh, a college to bang Nicolette Sheridan or whether it was um, uh, finally revealing his love for Minnie Driver or, or, you know, discovering the fact that, you know, maybe it wasn't right for him to be with his wife and pushing dead. Like it's, he, there was something that he had all the parts. He just didn't know how to put it together. And unfortunately age caught up with them. He has to find somehow find a role. He has to be a dad now. He ha I mean, you know, unfortunately, 
you know, he has to. Kind Unfortunately, of we all in. have to become a dad eventually. Well, he's he's got to blend in those roles. He can't be Lloyd Dobler for the rest of his life. He can't be, you know, he can't be uh, Rob Gordon for the rest of his life. You know, he can't do that. He can't be, uh, he can't be Larkin for the rest of his life. He's got to be kind of like the older guy that passes the torch in the movie. He's got to play a character that will die maybe at some point in the movie. Oh, um, man. So, but even though he did that in Stand By Me, it, it, this one will be less of an effect. That's what I miss most is that, you know, he's, that was the best he'll ever be. I can't imagine him coming back unless he kind of realizes that himself, but he's too in his head, I think. What, what I really miss was him starring as these neurotic characters and him being neurotic and cool at the same time. That's he true. Was the neurotic love and, interest he's still neurotic and, in later and, movies, but neurotic and cool. Yeah, that's a good way that, to talk about it. That's a tough way to balance it. And you never see somebody that's so in their head, has all of these you know, personal hurdles that they basically yeah. set up for themselves. And that person's usually played as a geek or a side character. Exactly. And they made him like, fucking mysterious yeah. and in his own head and upset and he's like sexy and cool as shit and yeah. funny but also kind of a head case yeah. and you don't really see that so much anymore yeah i, I also miss uh rock music mattering in music i mean in movies in movie. i know what you mean yeah that's what sound, and, and i feel like he was a big was part of that really important and all those movies that are ones that we just mentioned to being really good. I mean, except for the eighties ones and that, you know, maybe that, and you know, for the time it was, but, but yes, high fidelity, gross point blank, uh, even con air with that, um, whatever that song was. Yeah. No, 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 no. The one that won the uh, best original song. Or, oh, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, how can I live? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah especially that who yeah. would be today's version of cusack if they were uh, doing okay. movies like this uh, that's a great question so i've got some nominees i think uh, go ahead Let's okay see. i've got joseph gordon levitt i think that he's got that kind of charm and he's got the kind of smarts miles teller oh i hate miles teller <laughs> is he from here is he from like downingtown that's the guy from uh hunger games or whatever no the other one the the knockoff hunger games the one my wife likes i i don't know i don't like my, no no i don't agree with miles teller yeah i think you're thinking whiplash with your boy jk simmons <laughs> no there's another like hunger games like movie series out there that my wife likes and i've seen someone divergent yeah. yes that's it he's mm. in it okay fuck that guy then jake gyllenhaal oh Say, aren't they the same age? Well, I mean, maybe Joan Hall's a little bit younger no. than Kusak. True. Okay. And he, I mean, I'm, I'm going to throw this out there because I've been trying to make this happen. But Jason Biggs, did Jason Biggs ever have some Kusak uh, <laughs> potential? Jason Biggs. Now, here's the thing about Jason Biggs. Jason Biggs knows who he is. He knows what kind of actor he is. He knows what kind of movies roles are right for him. And I will always appreciate Jason Biggs for that. He will always be American Pie. They did American Pie 64, whatever series they're on. He would come back and do it. He knows it's where his bread gets buttered. That's what I like about Jason. I, I like that th this is what you appreciate as an actor <laughs> is that he stays in his lane and <laughs> he doesn't try to branch out and express his That's why himself. I don't like Jim Carrey after he did that those stupid movies where he was trying to be a deep character. Uh, how dare I stopped you? liking Jim Stop Carrey it. after that. Ah, uh, he's great. I love that era of Jim Carrey. I love all of Jim Carrey. Uh, <laughs> okay, I already know your answer for this one. What was his greatest moment? Gosh, there's so many. 
greatest moment would be everyone's going to say Lloyd Dollar with the boombox. And I'm, I don't want to say that. His greatest moment would be have to be in High Fidelity because that's his greatest movie. So the greatest moment would be High Fidelity. Oh my gosh, I'm running through a whole bunch of moments in my head. I want to say it, it is, I know it is High Fidelity. This is a very, you have to be a fan of High Fidelity to remember this moment. Okay. He calls, uh, he starts to call his ex girlfriends to find out what's going on. And it's the second one he calls. And it's, I don't remember the, the, the actor's name or even the character's name, but it's a girl that he liked. She was wholesome. She wouldn't give it up to him. So he dumps her and she ends up losing her virginity to another guy at the high school. And he calls her, he meets up with her and it is, she goes, she goes, well, I really liked you and I would have had sex with you, but it wasn't the right time. And this other guy kind of pretty much kind of raped her is where the, where the movie goes. And it's lost. It's it's about him. It's a very selfish moment. He goes, it wasn't it's like, oh, that's right. I did dump you. It had nothing to do with the fact that she just talked about the fact that she was at the very least sexually assaulted. It had everything to do with the fact that, oh, he dumped her. He's absolved of that. That's not a flaw. That wasn't a flaw of his. He dumped her. She didn't dump him. And he just walks away with the only memory of that being that, oh, it was that he had the upper hand because he dumped her. And meanwhile, she was raped, you know, days later or whatever. In that right. case. Well, not literally, but. Both... But that's the greatest moment because it shows the character as very selfish, which leads to the fact that when Joan Cusack comes in later and calls him a fucking asshole and here because he cheated on his girlfriend and she had a baby, you know, this, it, 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 the character is not a likable character. He makes it likable because he's a good actor. But the character, if you read the character on paper, it's not a likable character. If you if you wrote out the character's biography, you would say this is not a good guy. But Kusai makes it likable. Uh, I was going to go with his kickboxing scene and the aftermath in the hallway in Gross Point Blank. Because uh, not only is yeah. it a cool action scene, yeah. but after he kills the guy, and I, I think that this was intentional. It's like a pep rally banner, doesn't he? Like a, it's like a banner like a that's pen. on the hallway. No, oh, that's pen, what he right. wraps him up with afterwards. Yeah. But, yeah. It's a, it, but it's a pen. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he and he afterwards, the, the guys, when they're fighting, they're kind of mirror images of each other. And this yeah. whole time, he doesn't want to kill anymore. And yeah. he kills the guy that's kind of fights like a mirror image of him. And he's another high level hitman. And then he's so disappointed in himself afterwards. And then he gets caught, and you're just seeing just the anguish of the shit. And don't pivot to him put like in the school's furnace that's somehow blazing at that, even though it's summertime, that the furnace is, I think is that, warring. I think they turned it on. But anyhow, <laughs> yeah, I think it was a good dramatic moment. And by the way, in a world that makes more sense to me, Gross Point Blank should be, it should have been a much bigger movie. That was a phenomenal movie, and it should have been way bigger. But all the Kusa movies I liked, I saw after the fact. Like I wasn't alive, or I wasn't not that I wasn't alive, but I wasn't able to see movies. I was too young to go see Kuzai movies in the theaters, so I have no perception of what the movies were like as they came out. I only saw them after the fact. And now that his movies are all direct to video, I don't hear about his movies at all. So <laughs> I got high and went to the movie theater to see Gross Point Blank when I was sixteen. <laughs> And I loved it from the very first time I saw it. And I saw it a lot of times since. Uh, all right. Toughest competition. This is a tough mean? one for Cusack because he kind of carved out his that? own lane, you know? What do you mean toughest comp- You mean like in the other, like who was competing against them for, for the kind of similar like character roles? Right. Like who would you have thought of to maybe take his roles or, or who was starring in similar movies that 
you felt like they were kind of playing on the same field? These are great questions. I mean, Nick Cage was pretty strange, but he went full action hero. I should know these. You know what? I don't really have an answer for this one because Cusack just did every role that he did. He just made it his own. What about Joaquin Felix? Felix, Jesus. Joaquin Joaquin Phoenix? Phoenix. That's an interesting call. Was he that popular back then? Was he that pop? But but he competing for those same roles back then is what I don't understand. No, but but I do wonder if if Cusack was like eight to ten years younger if he would have been competing for Joaquin Phoenix's roles when he's coming up, because I think that they've got some similar skill set. but a lot of the people that he went, he co-starred movies with were also a little bit odd. You know, I I think, as I said, Nick Cage, I think Tim Robbins was kind of on the same, same corner. I mean, once Tim Robbins got Shaw's Chang and then he went on to do Mystic River, you know, Tim Robbins was in a whole stress. Tim Robbins is an A-list actor and will die an A-list actor. There could be argument whether John Cusack dies an A-list actor. I think that argument is up, but he's not one now. Uh, okay, let's let's see. Biggest flex. I know what this is. What, what, you know, what, I don't know what flex is. Can you describe what that is? I don't know. The biggest flex is when somebody takes their clout and tries to do something that doesn't necessarily come naturally to them, but they're feeling themselves. Oh, would that be Con Air with Vince Larkin? I mean, the fact that he's an action. I mean, no one thought Cusack. No one thought Cusack action hero. And you're right. It was right after Ghost Point Blank. But that's about. I, you're right. I mean, but he wasn't an action hero in that. That was like a dark. I can see. I guess there's, there's action in it, but it's not badass. It's not Vin Diesel. He's there's Vin a Diesel lot of violence like, in that movie. In, there is, but it's. Oh, but the, the, if you remember the scene in Gross Point Blank where. He's there's a shootout in Minnie Driver's father's house, and while they're shooting, while him and Dan Aykroyd, which by the way, Dan Aykroyd is the bag. I mean, Dan he's Aykroyd great in that movie. like nine hundred pounds in that movie. Well, somehow, somehow, still believable. Uh, yeah, there he's trying to appeal to Minnie Driver. At the same time, he's like shooting them. He's asking yeah. the father permission. The father's like in a bathtub taking cover, <laughs> and the, the guy's like blasting guns through the door. You know, like there's that sense. Con Air, there it was. I would say like yeah, he wanted to, that was more like him being actiony. I will say flex as Conair. I I would say I think that's a that's a totally valid call. I think the flex is kind of what ended it because in two thousand one, my man did America's Sweethearts and Serendipity. Uh, and, oh, you like a, like the romantic lead? Yes. There's no there's no depth, just all romantic. He was so good in High Fidelity that I think Hollywood said, "Wow, we love this guy. We need to put him in romantic comedies." And that took away everything that made him cool because they put yeah. him in like more, t- more of a typical box. I yeah. actually looked it up because he had those two romantic comedies in 2001, which I, I wasn't a huge fan of, uh, of either of them. There were 14 major romantic comedies that were released in 2001. Four came out in 2000, the year 2000, and seven came out in the year 2002 14 was just the year that everyone made the, <laughs> and he starred in two of them what and year was it 2001 yes was that right after titanic or titanic t- was titanic 97 oh, never mind then okay titanic was 97 matthew you mcconaughey so so cusack didn't belong in the lane competing against you like Ben Affleck and Brad Pitt and Hugh Jackman. And it's like, you don't need Cusack for that. 
Cusack is quirky and brilliant. Yeah. Going back to who rivaled him, and I don't know the age between these two actors, but Leonardo DiCaprio somehow managed the boyish good looks with like the depth. I'm thinking like what's eating Gilbert Grape, you know, um, not that he was like a rom- like pining for romantic in that movie, but like and then Titanic. <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio, I feel like, kind of took into that slot as, but did a better job as romantic like there's there he, he's he's pining after a girl but he's also finding himself in some way but he did a better job at it and Leonardo DiCaprio was able to manage a substantial career around I don't know I feel like Leonardo DiCaprio would be like the, the better version of John of John Cusack for that kind of movie sure I don't know I feel I, now, I, I, I just Leonardo kind of popped in my head with the thing of him before but now he now he is for some Who'd, reason as what his competition like a like a good looking dude who's never like the cool guy i mean right. Wolf of wall street excluded but never the cool guy but also has like a good story and and like there's something he has to overcome in order to feel like whole at the end of the at the end of the movie i feel like that's yeah. dicaprio dicaprio is a whole other thing i know he's he's all right. the i know. best i'm trying to answer your last because that's a great question i want to get a good answer to it so for for 2001 also with America's Sweethearts, it was an interesting choice that in that movie, he's playing a movie star that has been in a romantic relationship with Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yeah. And we just saw them together when he's yeah. obsessed with the fact that he's not good enough for her. And she's a, she's real, she's a big jerk. She's a jerk in American Sweetheart. She's real mean to Julia Roberts the entire time. I don't like John Cusack as the guy who has the choice between Catherine Zeta-Jones and Julia Roberts. That's not the lane that I need him in. Yeah. I keep, I'm sorry to keep going back to your first question with the rival. What about <laughs> Matthew Broderick? Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. And they came up around the same time. All right, that's good. Broadwick went uh, Broadway. You know, I don't, I, I don't know, know how much about that. I, I love Broderick. I was a Ferris Bueller. An election is even a better movie with Broderick in it. I feel like everyone thinks gotcha. Ferris Bueller, but but you're right. They they movie. have some some similarities going on. There you go. Now you have your good answer. I know you just want me to show them about. That. I'm going to keep thinking. I'm going to keep going at you with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's what we'll do. You, you know what? We'll continue this podcast tomorrow on that one. Um, were there any bounce back moments? Yes, yes. Two, two bounce back moments, and he squandered. He squandered both of them, uh, in my opinion. Um, he uh, and they're probably. I think they were relatively around the same time frame. I don't know which one was first, but the one that I really like. So if you had, if I had to pick a later Kusad movie, it'd be Identity. Love Identity. Um, I love anything mystery, which is what this movie is. I love anytime people are being eliminated systematically. And it just, I love that. Um, strong supporting cast with the dude from Scrubs and... Uh, uh, John McKinley? Um, yes. And um, yeah. Ray Liotta. And Ray Liotta, Amanda Pete. Amanda Pete, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, even was this uh, Gary Busey's less crazy brother is in it as the convict. I don't remember his name. He's not as famous as Gary Busey because he's not as crazy as Gary Busey. Wait, are you um, talking about his son? Wasn't that Jake Busey? Oh, is that his son? Oh, I thought they were brothers. They were sons. Oh, I didn't realize that. They seem too close of age. But anyways, um, but uh, Identity was a great movie and John Cusack could play this. He's trying to figure it all out. I, I don't want to ruin that movie because that is 
such a great it, it does it's not like a romantic comedy where you can spoil an ending because no. everyone knows how it ends, but I daddy I don't want to spoil the ending. Um but Cusack does a great job in that movie. I don't know why his career kind of st- stuttered after that. No, he did um, a lot he did a lot of stuff. Well then he did that. Runaway Jury, which was also those very were both good. 03. Those were they're the same year. Wow. So yeah. he had two great had I, I don't think people like the daddy as much as I like the daddy, but um um Identity I think was pretty good. Yeah, it had a twist that had been done a lot. Twist is insane. Time. The cast is insane. Um not insane. I take it bad. The cast is good. Cast is um, very strong. Um, but um yeah, that one you're not on your phone. When I think about what are good moves, what if it depends on how quick my phone gets pulled out before I'm like texting couple or buddy about something. Uh so so you know, a daddy my phone's put away the entire time. I'm glued to the TV set. Same with runaway jury. Um, those are two bounce so bounce back here, those two movies. And then whatever he did after that. And, <laughs> and don't you dare mention Hot Tub Time Machine, which is a lousy movie in its own right. About Runaway Jury, John Grisham said that it was smart and suspenseful and that he was disappointed that it didn't make more money. <laughs> I, don't, yeah, yeah. I don't think it affected how much money he made, but that was a good like people don't like mystery movies. And I that's that's what it comes to good mystery TV shows are canceled after a season. It's, no, it's it's a tough one. And Grisham, I mean, obviously he did The Firm and that became a successful movie in Pelican Brief. And, um, you know, I, I thought that this was good and I I had a kinship. I, I was really pulling for it because it was a New Orleans movie. They were all down there while oh, I was still in college. Really? And some of those guys, yeah, some of those guys were showing up at, uh, at New Orleans Pelicans basketball games. Were they the Pelicans back then? They might have still been the Hornets. And okay. they're, yeah. Those guys were around town, so that was pretty cool. Identity is the sixth highest grossing movie. Identity did well. Okay. Wait, six of John Cusack's sixth highest grossing yes. movie. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm but glad I, that happened. I've got more bounce backs for you. 2007, what? the movie 1408. Oh, him and Tim okay. Jackson. That movie kicks ass. No, it doesn't. He, pl- <laughs> he plays an author a lot, and I think it's because he just seems like a tortured... Oh, you like well, the the Raven or whatever one was Edgar Allan Poe, which I was like, oh, this could be okay. good, and then it was terrible, and I was like, no, it's, you were, it's like this really ruined the fact that this was a good concept. I never saw that. Well, you didn't miss anything. The fourteen oh eight was really good, um, and that was his. Uh, that was his third highest grossing movie. Are you kidding me? Fourteen oh eight. That movie did well. That movie's awesome. I think you need to revisit that movie. Yeah. I want to be on it before I go back and read for, watch 14 and late. Jesus. Uh, 2010. I'm going there, man. Hot Tub Time Machine. Uh, t- it came out a couple months after The Hangover. And for my, for my money, it's funnier. I'm not saying it's not funny, but it's not Cusack. It was a money grab for Cusack. Cusack needed money. They offered him the role. And he took it. The whole thing is weird and stupid. And if he did like Better Off Dead, how he could get on board with Hot Tub Time Machine is beyond me. He had some money grabs along the way. <laughs> yeah, I I liked it, and I liked that that he was a perfect main character because that was his heyday was the 80s i feel like they were saying a lot and then of course he channeled hunter s thompson when he when he ingested all the drugs and he was a hunter s thompson guy so i don't know i enjoyed it i thought it was super funny and 
back to your question about who was um, <laughs> who was Johnny Depp. Johnny was, Depp. You know what? I was thinking Depp, and I wanted to shut the fuck up about this topic, so I didn't say anything. <laughs> but Depp, Depp is a good one. All right? Are you happy? This is why you should have close happy. friends on your podcast, because they can just do stream of, stream of consciousness bullshit and sidetrack you, and they won't feel bad. All right. 2015, here's another bounce back. Love and Mercy. Did you see this one? I did not see it, so I can't comment on it. Okay. All right. So obviously, if you are a uh, a Beach Boys fan, this is Brian Wilson. Uh, I heard about this. He came on Stern and talked about this movie. It was really good. It was Paul Dano was young Brian Wilson, and was he and good? He was was it, so was it good? Is it worth watching? It was good. Yes. Okay. It was. It was good. I think that a lot of people complained that he didn't look enough like Brian Wilson. And uh, that's true. It's <laughs> true. <laughs> well, they say Brian Wilson changed a lot. I mean, the guy yo-yoed weight a lot. So yeah, they okay. said there was a I'm time during the nineties from all the drugs and alcohol. Yeah, right. There was a time during the nineties when apparently he looked like Cusack looks in this movie. I don't know if I believe it, <laughs> but if you look it up, but he was good in the movie, and the movie's right. good. I'll it's check that one like out. Not like a then. typical uh music biopic and he's got that amazon show that we talked about earlier that's that's coming out so all right, all right. I, I think we kind of already answered this one from your standpoint uh what if he had done a batman movie or the matrix or something because the guy has the chops to do that kind yeah. of movie and he was yeah. the right age for one of those movies he could do it because it it's action without being intense action. As again, you're, it's not a Vince, D, Vince Diesel or Steven um, Seagal or Dwayne The Rock Johnson kind of action movie. He could pull it off. Like a Michael Keaton-like Batman movie. Yeah, Coos, I could pull it off. Right. Er, because, er, because Batmans are always, I mean, like, they're all somewhat in good shape. Christian Bale, Ben Affleck, Keaton, George Clooney. They're all, like, in decent shape, but they're not, like... They're not like in like cover. total like steroid body mode kind of deal. So yeah, he could probably pull that off. And I his mean, ass been, kicking would be probably at least as believable. Yeah. No, right, but I'm saying at the time, but yeah, yeah, probably. But I'm saying in the Val Kilmer type of era, Val he would have been nice because I, I forgot he was Batman. You're right. <laughs> right. I forgot, Val Kilmer. I forgot about Val Kilmer. Yeah, well, don't ever forget about Val Kilmer. <laughs> But that would have been interesting to see what would have happened if he went that route. Just yeah. just kept that door that open. I'll be on board with that. Final question. Was the peak overrated or underrated? Underrated. Underrated. As, as you mentioned before, they, they saw high fidelity. They didn't get it. They thought, oh, he's a romantic lead. Let's throw him in Must Love Dogs and Serendipity and American Sweethearts. But he's not a romantic character there's always a there's always a certain romance about him a romanticism about him but in high uh, high fidelity he like we said he's a, he's, he's a scumbag on paper he's a scumbag he, he's likable because he does a good job at acting but he's not a romantic lead he's a romantic lead only if there's like something dark going on behind the scenes kind of deal but not like in a shallow just grab your like you know uh, you got male kind of crap love movie you know it's you know he you got to have something deeper for him i wouldn't even be opposed to now putting kusak in a romantic movie where just based on his age he's you know something similar to what he's 
going through now kind of deal uh, where he's like still single, even though he was very sought after as a young man and, and still, uh, you know, he's in his fifties now and not what he was when he was in his twenties, thirties, and even forties. So he could play some of a character like that. He's not out of that realm yet, but he has to be okay. Taking a supporting role, maybe in a movie, but uh, underrated because he had to, they they should have kept casting not in he can't do indies because they're too weird he can't do major blockbusters because he's not right for those roles he's right in those in betweeners where it's like the rob the rob gordon or the martin blank or the lloyd dobler or the um i can't even think of the character he plays in pushing 10 i forget his name um but like those in between like conflicted those conflicted roles kind of thing so Right. I I totally agree. Way underrated. I think that he is one of the uh, best all time actors to play an antihero. Yes. And and again, as you said, gross point blank and high fidelity and being John Malkovich, he's fucking awful. He's an awful person in every one of those movies. And each one you're like, man, poor guy. You're you're pulling for him, even though he doesn't deserve your sympathy, because he really conveys so much just with, you know, he the way he emotes and the, you know, inhabits these characters. And you wonder how much of it is him coming out in real life. But um, but I, I am a huge Cusack guy and I will continue to advocate for 97 to 2000 being his peak and not. The, the mid to late eighties. I stand by it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I I don't I don't disagree with you. You can he can have two peaks. He can have two. He's that good. He's allowed yeah. to have two. Yeah, and maybe he was better, he would never, have one. If he was better, he would never be on a peaks podcast because he'd be like a uh, like an Al Pacino, let's say, where he never had the bad movie. <laughs> right, right. They could only be one Pacino. All right. When does your web series come out? I don't know. I'm in the editing phase. I'm a one man shop. I don't have I don't have the talented minds of wasted robot working behind the scenes for me. Um, I'm a one man shop, but it's uh, it's a web series with with just comedians who I enjoy talking to, who I who are better than me, and it's kind of like um, uh, like yourself, Mr. Koppel, as part of this. Uh, there's ten comics all together. Six have been done for our schedule to do. And then I have been editing has been going along with the little time I have, you know, due to COVID, my mornings are work full time. My afternoons are baby. So I have maybe an hour a day to commit to this and other comedy related stuff. But um, it's just a web series about comics, how they develop their material, how they write it, where they write it, how they write it, what it looks like. I mean, I'm, I'm hacks, tips. I, I mean, even asking comics to show me their notes their phones if they write on their phone you go deep i go deep i go deep. Yeah. i want to see everything i want to see how the mind i go back into early life i, I feel like most of the comments just want to talk about i feel like most comments on an outlet talk about themselves and this gives them some an outlet there's a lot of a lot of hurt as i i you know it's good for a web <laughs> series but it's uh it, it's 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 and good for their comedy careers but there's you know it's it's great to have the background context but um, yeah, I just got done with the six one, record like recording it, um, and I have four more to go, and then it's going to be an edited web series with with each of the each of the comedians. But it, if you're if you're interested in 
comics that you enjoy watching and some jokes that you really like, you'll see how those jokes were created and the genesis behind them and how they wrote them and where they wrote them. And it's very ritual like, you know, I would, besides a picture of them actually running a joke, I got everything else incorporated with it. So there you go. I'm looking forward to it, man. Mark, thank you so much for joining thank me today, you. buddy. Hey, thank right. you. We'll see you next time. Mm, I believe when I fall in love this has been a presentation from the Wasted Robot Network. For more information and links to other shows, please visit www.wastedrobotrecords.com slash podcasts.